everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Around the Corner podcast for CoveringTheCorner.com. I am your co-host, Brian Hemminger, joined as always by Matt Schlichting. Matt, how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. So the reason this is a special edition is uh, we haven't had a chance yet to talk about the Cleveland Guardians draft, uh, which took place last week. Um beginning on Sunday, I believe, and uh, lasting three days, they ended up taking 21 players. And um, I'm excited for a chance to talk about these guys. Me too. I know our pick at the top of the draft turned some heads, caused some attention on Twitter, especially. It was fun to follow the day Mm -hmm. of and to learn a little bit more about the rest of the players too. So why don't you go ahead and lead us right into it, Brian? Okay. Well, I guess we'll start with that first guy, uh, Chase DeLauder out of James Madison University. That's not exactly the place you would be expecting a number 16 overall in the first round player to be coming from. Uh, If I recall, he's actually their first rounder, first first rounder ever, isn't he? Yes. But uh, there's a reason that he was so popular. I mean, his numbers were redonkulous. I think he had a like a 650 on base percentage in college um, throughout his college career. Uh, the guy just raked. Now he wasn't facing that same level of competition that say you know players in the SEC or Pac-10 or Big Ten were playing uh, were facing. But what I think put him over the top in terms of Cleveland liking him was. The Cape Cod League, and you're going to hear that league a lot in today's podcast. <laughs> um, the Cape Cod League is a place in in between uh, the regular college baseball season where a lot of the best players will go play and they have wooden bats instead of metal bats because college still has metal bats. Um, and he was the best hitter in the Cape Cod League. He, he yeah, led in home runs and hitting, I mean, and the guy walks more than he strikes out. That's really what put him ab- above and beyond. And he could have been higher. I think he was uh, graded about 18, but at, at several points, he was graded a top 10 pick because entering this season, he had an, after his Cape Cod performance, um, but he dropped, funnily, <laughs> because he struggled when... Uh, James Madison had a series against Florida State, and a guy named Parker Messick, a big nasty lefty, struck him out several times. More on that young man later. Yeah, and Cleveland just happened to draft him with their second round pick. <laughs> but we'll yeah we'll get to Parker later. But that's one of the reasons that that Chase dropped, as well as uh, some kind of foot injury. But apparently he's you know ready to go, fully healthy now. But those were. So that those are two little things that I think Cleveland were like, those are outliers. We like what we see. All the numbers point to this guy being not just a good hitter, but you know, a middle of the order power slugging outfielder that could play all three positions. A lot of what I have seen amongst the fan community and folks that are up on prospects generally is that he could end up being a phenomenal overall hitter. And it is, I think it, it is interesting that the Cape Cod League is what made the Guardians go, ah, ha, 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 ha. Um, One question I have about the Cape Cod League for you, since I'm not quite as familiar with it, this is players kind of from all over the country who are invited. So it's like top players from college now using wood bats. I'm, I, I'm not 100% sure if they're invited. I just know that it's a lot of the top players from around the country. So if you have a really good performance in the Cape Cod League, especially offensively with wooden bats, uh, you stand out. Uh, but, you know, good pitchers will stand out too because, again, you're facing guys with wooden bats, which is what you're going to be doing at the professional level. And kids, if you can go out and start using a wood bat somewhere now, even if it's off a tee, it's a good idea. Just It will make you a better hitter even if you never play in the show. 
There was another reason I really liked DeLauder is he was one of the youngest college juniors in the draft. Um, you know, m- almost every time you draft a college junior, they're 21 years old at least. And he doesn't turn 21 till October. So basically he's almost a year younger than most of the people in that draft class. So uh, just another thing that you got to think about that, you know, they've got a little bit more development uh, possibilities inside them. And I think another thing that Cleveland always thinks about is uh, when they draft from programs where maybe the coaching isn't getting the best out of these guys and they think that they can make them even better. Like they, I, I know for a fact that I think they did that with uh, Florida last year because they took three guys from Florida that all had really nasty stuff. One of them was Jack Lefwich. <laughs> so that's been working out. The other two have not so far, but uh, definitely a really compelling strategy. Like they're always looking to eke out that little bit of extra uh, advantage over the opponents. And uh, it seems like they found a few different areas where they can, they can find that advantage. Delauder mm-hmm. also played some pitcher in college as well, correct? Maybe. I think he does have a good arm, but I don't think it was like anything to write home about. Okay. I'm just wondering, having him listed as an outfielder here. and Yeah, he, he was clearly, you know, bat first in this. Like there was no even po- possibility of him going uh as a pitcher i, I don't think that that was even yeah so I, I i wasn't suggesting that he was a two-way talent but i thought i had read somewhere that at some point he had been firing some fastballs up in the low 90s um one question where do we for a college bat like this where do you think and i think this will help us as we move forward through some of the other picks as well where do they look to place a guy like this well this is only the second year that Cleveland that they've had the all-star draft or the uh, draft during the all-star break this late in the season. Um, Usually what they would do was they would have the draft in June. And then a lot of the advanced college players, they would send them straight to the Mahoning Valley, which was that low a half season league, but we don't have that anymore. So, uh, I think depending on how you know impressive Cleveland thinks DeLauder is, if he does play this year, I mean, who knows? Maybe they, they want him to rest his foot. Uh, if they think he's healthy and they want to see what he can do, um, instead of just working with him in the offseason, they could send him either to Arizona, where I think he should stand out, or test him in full season ball So uh, and send him to Lynchburg. Like, I would think next year he's a guy that they're going to go straight to high A, just like they do with some of their pitchers uh, that they draft out of college at that level. Um, Like, you know, Gavin Williams did this year and Tanner Bybee and Tommy Mace and Doug Nikhazy. They drafted all those guys last year and they, they all went straight to high A and the year before they did the same thing, you know, with Logan Allen and uh, Hunter Gaddis and, you know, whatever. So um, I think, they, they, we haven't had a college position player drafted this high in a while. So so I'm, I can't say for certain what Cleveland's thinking here. It's exciting, or it'll be exciting to see what they do, because you make a good point. They have been aggressive with college pitcher placements, and I think it would say a lot if he gets to high A placement about how they feel. I think they would. I, I honestly do. So, like, maybe if, if he gets, like, just a taste – at Arizona or Lynchburg this year, but I think next year for sure, high eight. Our second pick in the draft by the Guardians this year, they had a competitive balance pick at number 37 overall. Speaking of college pitchers, they selected Justin Campbell from Oklahoma State University. And he's fun because he was actually an 18th round pick uh, in 2019 by the Astros, but he decided to go uh, go to college. And he's a big six, seven. This is a big boy. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing that I really like about him is he's projectable, even though he's uh, a college pitcher at six foot seven, I I, I almost guarantee that they can find a little bit of extra velocity. Um, I think I've heard that this guy has some deception to his uh, 
uh, delivery. So, you know, there's there's a lot to like about uh, a Mr. Justin Campbell. I mean, he was a strikeout artist in a big way during his college career. Yeah, they really like his curveball and his changeup. I think he I did hear that he had one of the best changeups in the draft out of all the college pitchers. I do like um, a good changeup. Mm-hmm. And this guy, I think, is the one you were thinking of. Uh, he was a finalist for the John Olerud Award as a two-way talent. So he was a good hitter as well. And, and he's a pure pitcher now. Awesome. I mean, it speaks to the overall level of athleticism, too. And yeah. But he focused 100% on pitching this year. And then he ended up going as a supplemental first-round pick to Cleveland. Um, he was seventh in all of Division One baseball with 141 strikeouts in 101 innings pitched. And while he sits in the low 90s, uh, he touches 97. So I definitely think Cleveland can do something nice with him. What conference is Oklahoma State even going to be in now? Like the MAC? I, aren't they still Big 12? Or is Big 12 like done? I thought that I just assumed that everything's in the SEC now or the Big Ten, now including California. Like, I know Pac-12 is, like, disbanding, kind of, at, at least not not this year, but next year, or in a year, two years. I think it might be 23 or 24. Who but I think, I think the Big 12 is still going. Okay. I just can't imagine watching, like, USC and Oregon in the Rose Bowl? What? No. Yeah, that, that would not be good. <laughs> Things change. Oh, well. Um. Yeah, Campbell should be fun. I, is he the tallest pitcher in our system now? And I, I'm not expecting you to know off the top of your head, of course. I'm just at 6'7". I, mean, I know Hentges was up there. I think he was 6'6". Six, six. McKenzie's like 6'6 six, six or 6'5". Six, but yeah, he probably is. Unless there's like some crazy Dominican that was like 6'8 or something that I didn't know about. International signings can fly under the radar sometimes for sure. So uh, anything else on Mr. Campbell before we go on to... A teased draft pick. <laughs> I think we're good. I think we said what we needed to say about Campbell. He's he's definitely what I noticed especially early was Cleveland. A lot of times they'll draft like you know MLB pipeline is not the be all end all to you know who these guys are and how good they are. But uh, with their first three picks, it was interesting. Uh, DeLauder at sixteen, he was the eighteenth ranked player overall. Campbell at 37, he was the 36th ranked player overall. And Parker Messick uh, at 54, he was the 54th ranked player overall. Like they went like boom, boom, boom. These guys are deserving of this pick. Like, and we like them. And, like, and they, they fit our one at the top. We're so close to what, what was that? You said those were the mock draft positions or the consensus rankings? Yeah, it was on their, their draft rankings in terms of, Every player, best player available. Cool. Like top, yeah, like 300 or so. That's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, yeah, next up. pitchers from Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Parker Messick, a lefty. Mm-hmm. He is, if I understand the way they list guys correctly, he turns 22 October 26th. Yes. Normal sized guy at six foot, since we were making light of Campbell's height. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly, it looks like he pitched three seasons at Florida State and then transferred to Florida, if I'm reading this correctly, or did somebody... No, no he's just... Florida State entirely. Oh, somebody just goofed on the, the press release that I'm looking at here. Somebody should give him the business over there. He that. did pitch sure in the Florida Collegiate Summer League. So maybe that's what you're... Somebody got confused? He, he oh, was in like... I'm looking at the Guardian's press release and they goofed. And it says University of Florida. Oh, well. Yeah, Florida State all the way. I was just talking to my sister about how um, the son just took over as the coach of the program there. So, and of course, I won't recall his actual name because I'm an idiot. But anyway, tell us more about Parker Messick. Yeah, another guy that was a strikeout beast. Um, He had, uh, I think he was the, the Friday night starter for Florida State, obviously, if you're getting drafted this high. Uh, you're, you're typically the Friday night starter for some good college. He struck out a 12.6 batters per nine innings, had a, a really good strikeout to walk ratio of 5.48. He also was on uh, Team USA last summer. Uh, I think he throws about uh, up to 95 at the moment, 
you know, sits around the low 90s, has a good four-pitch mix uh, changeup, and uh, is his best-graded pitch, but his control as well is his top grade. So classic Cleveland pick, a guy that th- strikes people out and has good control with with an already good off-speed pitch. You know, knowing Cleveland, they'll add another two or three miles an hour to his velocity, and he's going to be nasty. I don't know what they did with Tanner Bybee. <laughs> he was a guy that was throwing low 90s, and now he's throwing 99, and he is murdering people in double A. And and that was just in one year because they drafted him last year. So who knows what they could get out of Messick. But I, I like what I've seen out of him so far. It makes me wonder if it's mechanical changes. I'm just not alluding to anything here, but when you hear about those kind of development gains, like I can't help but be curious, like what's the secret sauce? Because if they're able to replicate it now, holy smokes. Mm -hmm. We've seen what they can do with college pitchers generally, but if they're also now adding gabs and and gabs of velocity on top of it, that's terrifying. Like basically for me, Messick is a guy with a really high floor because I mean, he is going to consistently throw strikes and he's not just going to be grooving you know, gimmies, uh, because he's already throwing pretty hard. <coughs> so that, that, and he's a lefty, so you can't go wrong with that. Adding another really good lefty to the system. I know a, a couple of years ago, we were frustrated when we traded away. I think it was Thomas Ponticelli. Does that sound right? Maybe like one of the only Pannone. That's right. Because uh, he was one of the only lefties in the system at the time. So it's nice to see a few more guys have come up and gone through and they're refilling the hopper. And I don't feel quite as bad about losing Pannone. I think at the time, I mean, he was having a great season and he did end up making it to the bigs with Toronto uh, and, and even threw an immaculate inning. Uh, but, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. He, I think he's out of baseball at this point. So he was up in the bigs for a, a year or two. So it didn't it didn't hurt quite as bad as I thought uh, that trade. We basically gave up Pannone and Samad Taylor for a rental of Joe Smith. It was a good so, Joe Smith rental. That one out, wasn't so. quite as good. That was like the second or third time we had Joe Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Can throw, will travel. Yeah. Now, who do we have next up? Uh, next up, we've got Joe Lampa, um, another outfielder. Uh, this time he was Arizona State, and you remember, you know, they had the 54, and Masick was ranked 54. This was pick 92, rank 106, so right there again. The first four picks all were right within, you know, that zone of at least outside uh, talent evaluation. And uh, I'm sure this is going to surprise you, but Joe Lampa, or me, I'm just going to say Lamp until... I know for sure if that E is silent. I like Lamb. <laughs> um, but uh, he was a guy that doesn't strike out much and walks a lot and makes good contact. I, I know this stuns you, but Cleveland has, uh, I think they figured out their template on the position players they like to draft. Like I know that they feel that they can develop really good uh, international players, but if they do draft uh, in the MLB draft position players, it's almost always going to be these type of guys. Like, I think they are done drafting, you know, athletes or guys with power or like one tool guys that that just, you know, maybe the, the guy that hits the most home runs. But they, they don't care anymore that they like guys that are tougher to strike out and get on base and then and are able to make solid contact consistently. So they're looking for toolsy, good hit, low strikeout guys. I'm, I'm really excited about Lamp. He, uh, the reading that I've done on him, he was a finalist for the ABCA Gold Glove in 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good defensively, good base running as well. Uh, stole a lot of bases. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's a, a classic table setter, like a, a Quan type, which you, you, you cannot have enough Stephen Quans in your team, in my opinion. If you had a team of Quans, 
I think that would truly be Kwanzaa. <laughs> Honestly, if we had eight Stephen Kwans and one Jose Ramirez, I don't know if this team would ever lose. Probably not. That's just that's so many base runners and a ludicrous number of extra base hits. Like every starting every pitcher we'd face would be out by the fourth inning. That's a lot of 10-pitch at-bats. <laughs> uh, the other cool thing about Lamp I'm seeing in the notes here is that even in high school, he drew more walks than he recorded strikeouts. So he has been a, a you know walk artist for some time. Our kind of guy. <laughs> I, I saw something today that I needed to... Uh, let you know about. Um, it was just hilarious. So I'm going to go off topic just for a second before we get back to talking in the draft. Okay, 2004. You need to hear about this. There was a player who had 373 at-bats mm-hmm. and reached base safely 376 times. In how many at-bats? 373. Was this in Ponyball? I don't understand. This is at the major leagues. What? <laughs> Brian, I'm broken. I, what? Help me. Barry Bonds. <laughs> oh, God. I wanted to just assume it was because of Barry Bonds. But so he had, 135, he had 135 hits, 232 walks, and he was hit by nine pitches. The man was impossible. <laughs> so he, he, he had a slash that year. Of 362, 609, 812. <laughs> I feel like if With, someone shot a nuke at Perry Bonds during his peak, he would have hit it so hard. Yeah. It would have just, like, his, his OPS that season was 1422 for this season. <laughs> you so, hear those numbers, Chase? Yeah. Come on, Chase. You have some work to do. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't even make the Hall of Fame. So come on, Chase. <laughs> Make us proud. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I just, I saw that and I was just like, what? <laughs> That's the most broken statistic I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, Thank you. So, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I've not, I've not heard that version of Barry Bonds breaking baseball before, but I think it's actually my favorite. <laughs> so in the fourth round, the Guardians continued their streak of drafting nothing but college players so far in the draft, and they went ahead and took Nate Furman, a second baseman out of the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. Yeah, uh, another guy that gets on base, that walks at least as much as he strikes out. I believe in terms of uh, uh, Furman was a guy that hit all the way, like even as a freshman in uh, at UNC, he hit like 301. He, he wasn't a big guy, like five foot eight. So I think maybe Cleveland was looking for, you know, undersized players that other people might be overlooking because Furman wasn't in the uh, like the top like 250 or whatever draft prospects. So this is clearly a guy that Cleveland is trying to get save a little money on, I believe. But Um, looking at the numbers here, you can certainly find that this is an intriguing player and Size being what it is, if you're five foot eight, you do have a smaller strike zone. Mm-hmm. Um, stole a ton of bases, it looks like, was second in Conference USA. Yeah. Yep. Well, this is a, he's a fun little player. Yeah, I think uh, again, I'm I'm intrigued by you know if you remember last year, Cleveland drafted 19 college pitchers out of their 20, I think 18 college pitchers out of their 21 picks because uh, they had two position players and one high school pitcher. And uh, this year, while they did still draft some pitchers, uh, it was a lot more position players than I expected. I I also heard entering the season that there was not that same level of depth of college pitching um, from this season compared to last year. So maybe last year Cleveland was just like, hey, this draft class is loaded, like top to bottom, even guys that, you know, near the end, the 20th round, we might be getting some steals here. So that's fun to think about. And and then they just hammered pitchers the whole way through. And I uh, hadn't considered that it might've been a particularly rich draft. It was for one position like that. So it would make sense that they would say, well, I know that this is an 18th round pick, but if we're comparing apples to apples with next year's draft, you might be like a fifth round pick. I'm 
not saying that the difference would be that great year to year, but it's interesting to think about the relative value. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'm sure this is going to stun you, but uh, with their next pick, they took another college position player. Another outfielder as well. Yeah. Um, out of uh, Tennessee Belmont. So this was their third outfield uh, college outfielder that they took in their first six picks. Or, yeah, in their first six picks in the, and first five rounds. So I think in this draft, Cleveland saw maybe this was uh, the year of the college outfielder. At least that's my opinion. But looking at Guy Lipscomb's, and I just love the name Guy Lipscomb, in his year uh, for Tennessee Belmont, again, this was not – uh, you know, an SEC program or anything. So they weren't quite facing that same level of competition, but he slashed 406, 484, 546, uh, walked 29 times, 18 strikeouts, hit four home runs, 13 doubles, stole 42 bases. That's the number that jumped out at me. Can you say, can you say tools? Yeah. Hit by seven pitches too. Uh, here we go. He listens to the podcast already. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I really, you know, again, high contact, low strikeout guy. I mean, 18 strikeouts in 257 plate appearances. I mean, that, that is minute. Discipline. <laughs> yeah. And so. it makes sense why he's a guy the Guardians would go, what is he, in, in the fifth round? Yeah. Why mm-hmm. not? So it seems like a guy that with a profile that fits their system. And again, uh, since he wasn't quite rated as high, I think they can save some money on him because there's a couple guys that they are going to be paying more for down the line here. We'll talk mm-hmm. about them. Uh, next up, uh, Dylan DeLucia, uh, another college pitcher, right-hander out of Ole Miss. I did not get to enjoy the College World Series this past year. I know mm-hmm. Old Miss ended up taking it all, and he was quite part of that, was he not? Yes. Uh, I, he was player of the the year, right? Uh, yeah, I can see here that he was awarded most outstanding player at yeah. the World Series, at least. Yeah, during the College World Series. So he, he I think he's the guy that really came on particularly – uh, during the College World Series. Um, I mean, he did still have a good season. This year at uh, Ole Miss, he went 8-2 and two, uh, with a 368 ERA, struck out 105 and walked 26 in 95 innings. So uh, was a little hittable. I mean, he gave up 87 hits in 95 innings, but did not walk a lot. So I think, uh, you know, another guy that Cleveland sees – Above average strikeout ability, good control. Let's see what we can do with them. One thing, and he's I a winner. Winning is always a good thing to have in your CV, I suppose. Uh, one thing I have and er, er, seeing about him is that the fastball velocity—oh my goodness—the fastball velocity is eighty-nine to ninety-five, from what I'm seeing here. Um, so I guess that could be a knock against him since it's not elite, but. Given that he doesn't walk anybody and can already strike guys out, I feel like Cleveland is going to be able to. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. And he is, I, as far as I've heard, the first player that they've signed already. Um, and they got him under slot. Uh, the pick value was at $284,000, and uh, they got him for two seventy-five. So saved about ten grand. Now, they'll need to save a lot more because uh, one of the guys down the line, I think, They've got a deal in place if it's not signed already. Uh, Again, we'll get to them. (laughs) Uh, Next up. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying in round seven, it was Javier Santos. And this was the first high school player of the draft. Yeah. And this one was kind of interesting because he was out of the Dominican Republic and he moved to... uh, uh, the United States, and he played at the Georgia Premier Academy, which is actually where Daniel Espino played. Interesting. I was just and and he was, I believe, from outside the country. I can't remember if it was Ecuador or Puerto Rico or something, and he came up. Well, even Francisco Lindor was 
from Puerto Rico and then ended up was in Florida yeah. at Montbird, who routinely kicked like Howell's ass and everything. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> what was interesting, though, is he was old for a high school player. Usually, if you're drafting a high school player, you want them to be uh, younger so that you have more development time. But I think he was like 19 already in terms of uh, his age as a high school player. So I think he just turned 19, but he's, he was 19. Yeah, he turned 19 in June 2nd. But I've heard, you know, hard-throwing right-hander. And I think that they were able to save some money on him, possibly. Let me double-check. I'll be interested to see a little bit more from him once we see him in the system. Because the, the numbers don't necessarily impress. But... I'm sure that to be taken at this spot in the drafts and to be going to an elite baseball high school. Again, this isn't 100% official, but uh, Todd Paquette said that there's a deal in place for Cleveland with Javier Santos for 125000 signing bonus, which would save them almost $100,000 on the slot value. So maybe he was a guy that you know didn't want to wait two more years in college. And even though he was a little older for the level, there's still a lot of talent there. And Cleveland was like, you know what? We could save some money and get a good arm in the system. So at least that's that's what I think happened. Moving right along at round eight, another left-handed pitcher by the name of Jackson Humphreys from, I'm going to try to say it, Fuquay Varina High School. Pretty close. I, I think it was Fuquay, but yeah. Well, Fuquay it. <laughs> um, what was interesting about this was, you know, this was pick... 241 in the draft. So at this point, pretty much all the top guys are gone. But this guy was ranked 128. So this was a tougher sign uh, that you'd be thinking, especially since he's a a high school player. So he's got a commitment somewhere to some college. So they're going to have to throw some money at him to to convince him to to sign. Uh, But he has a, a, a good fastball, a good slider. What's interesting is, you know, even though he, you know, sits in like the 93 to 95, but as a high school pitcher, he doesn't have that same level of control that a lot of the guys that Cleveland drafts typically have Um, in terms of like elite control. You'd think, you know, if somebody, if Cleveland is drafting somebody in the first 10 rounds as a pitcher, they're going to be a guy with like a 55 control or higher. And uh, his is rated 45. So... It'll be interesting to see if Cleveland can uh, help him in terms of his command, because stuff-wise, he's already there. That makes this a, a very interesting pick, then, because the commitment I'm seeing is to Campbell University. And I've got to say, the Guardians might have messed up here, because if I had a chance to go play for the Fighting Camels, I don't think I'd be able to turn <laughs> it down. That, yeah, that's the thing is, uh, it wasn't like a commitment to a Vanderbilt or, you know, some other elite college baseball program. So I think that they should be able to, to pry him away from the, the Campbell commitment. He's a fighting camel. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. Who do we have next? Uh, next up, we've got Austin Peterson, uh, a right-handed pitcher out of uh, the University of Connecticut. Uh, he was their ninth-round selection at number 271 overall. What do your notes say about Mr. Peterson? He had an 18-4 and four record in two seasons at UConn, 3.3 ERA, and it was 70 earned runs and 190 in two-thirds innings with 229 strikeouts to 46 blocks. What, what I think a, is... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to note he was a team captain, so the peripherals, they're there. What's really interesting to me is he pitched at four different schools in his college career. Is that... Um... Well, actually, no, it was it was two, but he had two different summer leagues, so... Ah, okay. That's a lot of hopping around for yeah, baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he started at Purdue, then he did uh, two different summer leagues, didn't pitch all of 2020 because of the lost uh, season, uh, and then his last two years were at Connecticut. But yeah, he really broke out at Connecticut. This last season, 147 strikeouts in 110 innings. So, one of, again, one of the top uh, strikeout guys in all of D1 college baseball. And uh, as a Big East, you would have to think that 
with this guy being uh, from Indiana originally, went to Purdue, then to Connecticut, that Cleveland sees some untapped potential, perhaps, as, uh, you know, somebody from the Midwest and, and also the, the Northeast. And he's speaking of projectability at 6'6". Six, six, um, I'm not seeing velocity numbers for him, uh, for what I can see, but that does suggest that there may be some additional heat they can find. Oh, definitely. And uh, again, a guy that doesn't walk people is out of his 147 strikeouts, 25 walks. So I, I really like that. Yeah. Uh, this brings us to a Canadian, the first Canadian of the draft, I believe, for the <laughs> Cleveland Guardians. Jacob yes. Bitt, and I'm going to say Zidon. It could be Zidon. Mm-hmm. Give us the business if we're wrong. <laughs> yeah, this guy is especially interesting. Again, just like Jackson Humphreys, uh, Zibin or Zibin, um, another really interesting college or a high school pitcher that was ranked actually just three spots lower than Humphreys. So he was ranked uh, 131 uh, overall in the, the draft uh, rankings. Um, stands six foot three already at 18 years old and is already throwing uh, 96 miles an hour. So I think uh, that, that they're already saying his changeup is his best pitch. What? So, yep. So as a high schooler, <laughs> you like that. So, yeah, 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 exactly. And again, this is a guy that I think Cleveland has a deal in place that hasn't been made official yet. But uh, when I'm, yeah, I've seen this from multiple people, mainly, no, it's straight out of Paquette again, <laughs> but that it's a 1.2 million signing bonus as a 10th round selection at number 301 overall. So, that means it's 150,000, 152,000 slot value. So Cleveland is going to have to find uh, about, you know, 900,000, 950,000 or so elsewhere <laughs> in the draft. He's a pretty young player at 17 as well. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. Not 18, 17 years old. Yeah, he's uh, birth date is. January 30th, 2005. Oh, my God. He was born after I graduated high school. I don't even think TRL was on the air anymore, man. <laughs> what a bummer. Uh, this this guy, I think, is the... Is he the first player Cleveland drafted that is younger than me graduating high school? I think so, because I graduated in uh, 04. So, yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> well... I guess technically Humphreys is as well, uh, since he was a July 04. This is an interesting pick to me, since he does have options if he decides not to take that signing bonus. Yeah, because his is Kentucky. It's, it's definitely a better program. Yeah. Uh, a bigger program, and it's an SEC program. So it's, you know, it, it, but I, that's why I think the, the 1.2 million is, should be more than enough. Yeah, not unheard of. We even talked about a player earlier that the Guardians took who had turned down a previous offer in high school and then went to a prize program. So we shall see. And, and a lot of times when they turn down in previous times, it's because they got picked in like the 22nd round, you know, as a college guy or as a high school guy. They're not going to offer you a million dollars at round 22. They're like, OK, we can offer you, you know, 200,000. So take it or leave it. Or maybe they want to build a relationship and try to get him the next time. So be like, hey, we're thinking about you. <laughs> it's happened. Uh, believe it or not, you know, Cleveland has had a couple guys that they picked that ended up becoming really good college players and good MLB players like uh, Nick Madrigal and currently uh, Spencer Strider on the, the Braves. They, they both drafted them out of high school, but then they turned him down. You always wonder... It's easy to say, oh, if only Nick Madrigal had signed. But for all we know, the development in college was essential to their MLB success. Yeah, because Madrigal ended up playing on Oregon State, and, and uh, the, he was a leadoff combination with Stephen Kwan, 1-2. Very fun. I think there's going to be some very fun retrospectives on that baseball team later on. That should be interesting to see. 
Yeah. So we've moved through the first 10 rounds here of the draft as we go on here. A little bit less information, not that they're less interesting players, but how do you want to cover the, the back half of the draft here for the guards? Uh, we can just kind of go through them a little bit quicker, I would say. Round 11, we had uh, Magnus Ellerts might be the best name of the Cleveland's draft. It's, it's solid. The double L is what really gets me. <laughs> and uh, he was their first uh, junior college player. Juco. Yep. He, uh, uh, in terms of his stats, I'm seeing, I'm only, I, I don't think I can find his Juco stats, but I, I'm seeing uh, his appearances in some leagues where. I have, don't go ahead. Oh, yeah. If you've got his Juco stats, lay them on me. He had really high strikeout rates in all his summer leagues. What I'm seeing here is in 2021 as a freshman, he was at Patrick Henry Community College, uh, got to the Division II World Series, 10-2, and 2.6 ERA, striking out 141 and 82 and two-thirds innings of work. I like that. And when he went to Florida Southwestern State College in Fort Myers, he went 10-0 and 0 with the 2.48 ERA, 69 innings pitched, struck out. Ooh, his strikeouts per nine, according to this, was close to 14. So that's some, that's some stuff. And, and you know what? In the summer leagues, the stats I have, again, these are smaller sample sizes, but uh, strikeouts per nine, 16.8 in 2021 and 14.9 in uh, 2022. So you can another strikeout artist. So he's got a commitment to the University of Florida. And in the 11th round, on one hand, you get to pitch in the Guardian system. On the other hand, a lot of players from Florida go play some ball. And it's not like Gainesville's a bad place to hang out. And uh, the advantage of drafting a junior college guy is they're typically one year younger than college players. Uh, but what I noticed was kind of interesting is he's actually older. Uh, he, he basically is the same age as a college junior. So the thing is, yes, he has a commitment to Florida, but if he goes there, I think he would be a college senior next year. So then somebody's going to offer him $5,000 and go take it or leave it after they draft him. So this is his chance to get at least something, and I think that's he's going to take it. Well, next up we've got uh, Jack Josiah, I guess would be uh, the name. I, the names from here on out are all elite. So we're just, we're <laughs> he was, him. I yeah. got to put Jack Sayak at, at least 60 grade, yep. maybe 65. Uh, if the pronunciation is even more fun, we might be touching 70 grade. Really looking forward to hearing Tom Hamilton say it. <laughs> this guy was uh, with the University of South Florida. I think he pitched out of the bullpen this year because, well, he had a shortened season, actually, is what I saw was because he only had five starts this year. But in those five starts, he uh, struck out 30 and walked two. Were they favors? <laughs> so he had a good solid uh, 15 strikeout to walk ratio. He walked two? Yep. Are you sure? <laughs> That's insane. Okay. So we can, we can work with a guy who doesn't throw balls. Mm-hmm. We've done yeah, that before. I, that, that'll play, right? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think that there was some kind of injury or something that shortened his season. But yeah, when you can command the bat, the baseball, that's always something Cleveland likes. And I could have sworn like Jeff Ellis, and and I should say right now, Jeff Ellis is so fun to follow on draft day. Like if you aren't following him on Twitter, this guy does so much prep work before the draft, and he has something that he can say about every draft pick. Like he does his homework. Like we're doing our stuff after the draft and, and we're still not as good as Jeff Ellis. So I'm just letting you know, <laughs> follow him on Twitter and get a lot of uh, good info from him as well, because uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I just, it's fun being part of the community here. That's excited about baseball prospects and, uh, next up, though, at round 13, Cleveland took another college position player. This time it was their first infielder. Or no, no, second infielder, first shortstop. Which is crazy, because if you remember, what was it, like 
three or four years ago, they took like six shortstops in the first 10 rounds. It was their jam. <laughs> um, maybe that was their, what they saw that year, right? And they did end up getting a couple good ones. Remember Milan Tolentino? And in terms of uh, this one, it was uh, you know Tyrese Turner. And yeah, he was a switch hitting uh, player out of uh, USC. So Pac-12, the soon to be defunct Pac-12 and USC, I think, is joining the Big Ten. But uh, I know that this will just absolutely stun you um, in terms of what this guy was capable of. But uh, he walked 25 times compared to 27 strikeouts this year. Slashed 330, 419, 524. Really impressive. The left-handed slug especially out of a short stop. Yeah, what I liked the best was he really improved his slugging this year. Like He went from a slap hitter to, uh, like, because in 2021, he had some, like, uh, you know, really good on base as well, uh, you know, 374 on base, but his slugging was 384. So he bumped up his slugging 150 points this year. Uh, And that's his home runs went from three to six. Doubles went from five to 15. So, yeah, really, really interesting. And he's a little, not quite as insane of a stolen base threat, but uh, does steal some bases too. So. so, quick point of order. I see conflicting information here. One note saying that he bats left-handed. Another note saying that he switch hits. Can you confirm? I know he throws right, but baseball reference has him as switch hitter. So does MLB.com. Okay. The description says he switch hits, and then it looks like there's a mistake in the in the BT slash here. So cool. Hey, a switch hitting middle infielder. No way. (laughs) I'm thrilled to announce the 14th round pick number 421 overall in the draft outfielder press Kavanaugh. Yeah. uh, This I believe was their fourth college outfielder. 80 great name. No question. Oh, absolutely. Possibly the best overall in the draft. And I'm astonished that he fell this far. Um, well, what, what can you tell us about Mr. Kavanaugh? He went to UNC Greensboro and slashed 309, 399, 482. And that was in 131 collegiate games in three seasons there. The 2022 season, he batted 340, ended up toggling, toggling. Yeah. The 2022 campaign, he batted 340 and had 25 extra base hits with 56 RBIs. Uh, definitely a solid looking hitter. And he had a May stretch in which he hit 429 498 679 so during that month absolutely scorching now in 2021 he was a cape cod standout slashed uh, 333 413 429 in the cape cod league hit a home run 13 rbi stole seven bases seven doubles but then he went to the cape cod league this year and did not play well so he went, he played well as a younger Cape Cod player at age 20. And then in his age 21 season, he went to the Cape Cod and he only slashed a 170, 250, 234. I think that that was one of the main reasons his draft stock dropped was he had a Guardian. really tough time in the Cape Cod. And maybe the Guardians were like, hey, there was something off with his swing and we're going to fix it. And this guy's going to be, you know, the next Will Brendan. So oh, he might have just been in a slump. I can imagine the Guardians guys sitting there watching it going, maniacal laugh. He's gonna fall. <laughs> Come <laughs> We're gonna get you cheap. Yes. <laughs> he gets to play some professional baseball though. Um, in the fifteenth round the Guardians took left handed pitcher Adam Tulach. Yeah, another guy originally from uh, Canada. So second Canadian. I absolutely pronounced it correctly then if he's Canadian. Before I even get started, they make reference to the College of Central Florida. That doesn't exist. It's a, it's a whole dang university. Well, what's interesting is this guy pitched at Wingate College, then he pitched at West Virginia, then he pitched at Arizona State, and he also pitched twice in the Cape Cod League. So um, I think that this was another guy that they're like, that they, they had some eyes on from, you know, I, I guarantee Cleveland sends their scouts to Cape Cod. <laughs> like they have all their scouts there. Like that's probably the only place they even go. Well, hold on. There is a college of central Florida. When did they do this? 
Yeah, there's, there's a Central Florida college. Didn't they there have like an undefeated? Wasn't weren't they like undefeated in co- college football? Florida's just got to knock it off with these directional schools, man. I'm, you can't keep track anymore. There's already like three Central Florida. Come on, guys. Uh, I'll tell you what. You leave a state and everything changes, man. These guys. Yeah, this, can't... this school has been around since nineteen. Uh, they, they've had a football program since nineteen seventy nine. The College of Central Florida. No, I still don't believe it's real, Brian. Well, it's it's University of Central Florida. There, yes, there's a University of Central Florida, but I'm saying there actually is a Central Florida Patriots of the College of Central Florida. Oh. Like, it genuinely looks like a fake school. Okay, so that makes more sense. Like, I, I know UCF very well. Okay. Um, I was like, how does he know so much about Florida State and not know anything about Central Florida? <laughs> no, I just, it, this is why I'm confused, is I thought it was a typo, and they meant to say the University of Central Florida, but I looked it up, and there, there's a college of Central Florida. I'll be, I wonder if it's accredited. Yeah. Anyway, but but yes, uh, Mister Mister Tullock, he uh, I don't think he had a great year this year. Yeah, his ERA was eight point four two with uh, Arizona State, but I think earlier in his college career, p- people really liked him, and they liked him in the Cape Cod League because uh, in Cape Cod. Uh, in 2021, he struck out 43 batters in 29 innings. And then his most recent Cape Cod appearance, he struck out 18 batters in 16 innings. It'll be really interesting to see if they can get his walks under control, because that's kind of been what's killed him his entire career. He had one time in his summer league where his walks per nine were uh, 12.8. Now, this was 2019, but that's a lot of walks. (laughs) So... Yeah, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see if Cleveland can, you know, maybe there's something they saw in him during the Cape Cod that stood out to them over the uh, appearance that he had in uh, Arizona State. Because, yeah, he did not have very good numbers. Well, and we are getting into the part of the drafts where, like you said, you take a college player and it's like, well, do you want to play baseball, kid? <laughs> Let's see what uh, Ellis had to say. I could steal, steal from him, maybe. While you are pulling up some additional information here, the Guardians, in the 16th round, took a catcher by the name of Logan Clark, um, filling the catcher named Logan Vacancy that was created by the departure of Logan Ice. Um, He is out of Taft Union High School, so it's another prep player that they took. He does have a commitment to Cal State Bakersfield, but he was uh, one of the higher-ranked prep catchers in the state of California, and in his senior season, hit uh, for 439 with 33 RBIs. And uh, and going back to Mr. Tullock, uh, Jeff didn't have that great of stuff to say to him either. He said, you know, he bounced around four separate programs, but the one consistent thing was he struck out a lot of people. So he looks like a guy that is going to be a bullpen pitcher, and they'll see if they can limit the walks and maintain that elite strikeout rate. So he, he apparently was drafted by the Dodgers in the 17th round before, and then now goes uh, to the... Guardians of the 15th. Okay, so teams see something. I'm wondering, you, you hear about that many walks, it almost has to be something mechanical, right? Mm-hmm. I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then again, not that um, And uh, with, with Logan Clark, uh, just like uh, Mr. Javier, a uh, 19-year-old prep player, so an older prep player, uh, which, you know, again, goes against most of the, the models that Cleveland has, but I think I saw that he had uh, really good defensive numbers in terms of his catching ability, even though he was, you know, a prep player, uh, good pop times, um, and had really good exit velocity numbers. So, yeah, so definitely a, a catcher with potential for uh, home runs. So can't go wrong with that. No, you can't. Now at round 17 with the 511th pick, do you feel they went wrong? With Angel Zarati. No. Uh, the final outfielder. So this was their fifth college outfielder that they drafted, which is just nuts. Uh, yeah, Angel Zarate. Um, let's see here. 
I have him coming out of the University of North Carolina from Reedsville originally in the same state. He went to school there for five seasons, so presumably had a redshirt year and slashed 352, 425, 500, and actually led the ACC in hits with uh, a cool 100. So Ooh, another I like that. So like high contact outfielder, that just stuns me, a high contact outfielder. I'm, I'm sure his walk rate was abysmal. No, when you're getting on base, 42, 43% of the time, you know. He also uh, managed here. to steal 12 bases and had five triples. Okay. This guy also is an older player. Um, he 20, he'll be, he's already 22. He turns 23 in September. You would think with someone like that, a bit more of an advanced placement mm-hmm. given his age, right? So I would assume more of an org filler guy, but, uh, uh, yeah, he's he's been at the University of North Carolina since 2018, but low strikeout, high contact guy. So that that definitely does fit the Cleveland mold. Should be able to sign for cheap. But I mean, after you're outside the 10 rounds, it doesn't matter. So uh, basically, they, they can offer up to 150 without losing bonus pool money. But I, I doubt he he gets 150 since, you know, five year senior. Not even four mm-hmm. years in here. So. And this brings us into our final three players of the Cleveland Guardians draft, starting with Zach Jacobs, hailing from San Dimas, California. The University of California, Riverside was his college, also known as UC Riverside. He went 3-9 and nine with a 4-4-7 ERA across 19 games. Uh, another guy that pitched well in the Cape, and he did not pitch that much in 2022, uh, just like eight innings or so. So um, perhaps it was a, you know, an injury or something that dropped him a little bit, but uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how he performs. But uh, again, uh, a pitcher that performed well in the Cape, and I know Cleveland likes those guys. This brings us to round 19 and what I believe, at least to me, is far and away the best player name in the draft, Gio Rivera Jr. So there's two of them. (laughs) A uh, guy that throws really hard, he, uh, I think, played at uh, Old Dominion and then went to uh, the Juco level this past season. And he actually has a commitment to Oregon, which is a pretty good baseball program. Um, uh, Jeff Ellis said that he thinks that they'll be there, that uh, Rivera is going to be their hardest sign on day three. Um, a commitment to Oregon for a guy yeah. like that. This year, like he had a 16 up. strikeout no-hitter. Maybe so. they could kick in some extra cash, though. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, enticing. It'll, you know, they're already they're already forking over some for uh, Mr. Zybin, and uh, I believe they're going to be forking over some for Humphreys. Yeah. Well, big we just got to think about where... Are. I, I guess they're going to save some on, you know, Furman and Lipscomb, but are, how much are they going to save? And maybe they won't have to use uh, all $3.9 million on DeLauder. That could help a lot, too. Well, if they wanted to save money, they could have just taken me in the second round, you know? <laughs> Sign for much. 5K and be like, hey, I was a guardian. <laughs> hey, here's the paperwork, kids. Why didn't right, you ask we- for more? I'm an idiot. I mean, Finally, <laughs> this brings us to the 20th round pick, 601 overall, Sean Rapp. And uh, where was he out of? The University of North Carolina. Okay, another North Carolina. So second player on North Carolina. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a reliever. So almost every time Cleveland has relievers in their system, they were starters in college. But this guy was a reliever in North Carolina. And he... I think gets the Brian Shaw award in college as uh, led the nation in appearances this year in college. Um, He's also got an older brother that was uh, drafted by uh, the twins. So striking out over 10 per nine innings. So I I believe that you just officially enshrined that the pitcher who makes the most appearances in any given league (laughs) gets the Brian Shaw award. (laughs) It's just, I think Brian would appreciate it too. Yeah. I think you've seen the rubber arm himself. (laughs) 
there's this hilarious thing that and it's not even hilarious. It's just the numbers. And it was like since 2019, out of all qualified bullpen arms, there's like 170 of them. Shaw's like, you know, 168th in this category, 165th in this category, 160th in this category, 155 in this category, and then appearances like 10th. <laughs> have arm. Like, I, I just almost have to laugh at this point on that stuff. Bringing us back to Sean Rapp, he actually led all Division One, like you said, led Division One players in appearances. Yes, um, that was the fourth most in UNC program history. Nice. And he actually went to the same high school as New York Yankees number one prospect Anthony Volpe. Oh, okay. Uh, he also was a Cape performer. Struck out uh, fourteen per nine, walking walking just two per nine against. Cape League players. Looking at, it's interesting. They note his prep seasons here. Uh, as a junior and a senior, he went ten and one with 109 strikeouts and a sub two ERA is how they list it. They won a state title and came in second. I wonder to what extent when teams are taking college players like this, uh, the high school seasons factor in and what kind of weight they get, or if they see that a player goes to a certain program. And then their high school performance was this, and it dipped in college. I just sort of wonder how teams evaluate those kinds of situations. I'm not suggesting that North Carolina doesn't have a good baseball team, but I don't know. It seems curious to me. Hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting. I I have no idea. I I honestly couldn't tell you. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, what what do you think overall of uh, Cleveland's draft strategy this year? Because, again, like last year, they had 18 college pitchers out of 21 picks. And I'm still, you know, I wanted to have all my draft reviews done before the draft. I'm still working on the 2021 draft and review, but just letting you guys all know when that does come out and it should be coming out soon, it was a really good draft. Mm-hmm. Like the, the guys that they took are doing really well. Like Gavin Williams clearly has already become you know, a top 100 MLB prospect. Uh, but then they had Jake Fox, who clearly, you know, you have grown attached to. And He's a great player. Yeah. And uh, Tanner Bybee, who was already a double A and slaying it, to Jack Lefwich, Will Dion, Rodney Boone, like Davis Sharp is one of their best uh, bullpen guys. Reed Johnston, as you saw, had, uh, you know, back-to-back, 10 plus strikeout performances. Doug Nikhazy's had a couple, a few 10 strikeout performances. So, I mean, that, that draft is already looking nasty. Well, as far as taking a swing at an evaluation of this year's draft, I think the most notable thing is only 13 pitchers compared to 19 last year. And then it seems like college bats are, are in for sure. Mm-hmm. And I wonder maybe if the development of someone like a Stephen Kwan has influenced that strategy. And I I definitely feel like they need to, they might feel like they need to flood the system with a few more outfielders as well. Because, you know, selecting five college outfielders, I would expect all five of those to debut at full season ball next year as college outfielders. So, uh, you know, that's going to fill Lynchburg and Lake County's outfields pretty good. So maybe... They don't feel like they have a, a lot of outfielders coming up in uh, the you know Arizona League could be. that they can rely on as much. Either that or we're going to have a situation two years from now where we're going. Remember how we talked about all these outfielders? Well, now there's a roster crunch, but they're all hitting 400. So. Well, we're already at a roster crunch. I know. <laughs> like they legitimately need to trade away like four or five people uh, coming up very soon. I hate to say that, but they do. It, so we'll we'll see how they navigate the waters. Um, I do not have an EE Gamings piece for this week. Uh, I feel like since the draft special edition, it that's okay. It we'll we'll save it for next week with our uh, back to regular programming edition. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad we got to get together and cover the draft, though. Uh, definitely some at the top of the draft, immediately exciting and interesting players, and then as we noted throughout, a few places where maybe it's a thing that makes you go, hmm. I like it. And as Uh, these guys start hitting the system, you'll hear more about them from us. Yeah. Like, honestly, out of this draft, 
I love the Chase Stellauder selection. I think that that guy's going to be a stud in the system. And while I'm not sure which one of these pitchers is going to turn into like our next starting, you know, ace, um, I bet at least one of them uh, becomes a, a middle of the rotation guy. Somebody will, whether it's Campbell or Messick or, you know, go further down the line with some of these high school arms that they took some shots with. So like uh, like the the Humphreys or the, the Zybins. So I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see because I can't remember the last time that they took, you know, if they were taking a high school pitcher, that they weren't doing it right away, you know? So that's a good point. They, they, they let a few high school pitchers fall. Um, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I trust Cleveland's pitching development pretty much with my life at this point. They haven't given us much reason to doubt. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you again, Brian. You're welcome. And thank you uh, as well to all of the listeners. We'll talk soon. Yeah.